Hello, everybody. You are listening to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. I am one of your co-hosts, Alex Steed. I will be joined by the wonderful Sarah Marshall, my co-host, in a few moments. We're joined in this episode by Carolyn Kendrick, who is our fabulous producer and music director. We thought this was going to be a bonus episode, actually, but we've been trying to get together a Goodfellas episode that was supposed to come out this week for a while. But once in a while, I'm reminded that this show is organized by a couple of Tauruses. <laughs> Sometimes we just aren't able to get things out according to a plan or a schedule or an agenda. So we have Hook. This is a movie people have been asking for since we started the podcast, especially back when we were called Why Are Dads, which was a show that was uh, more forward about exploring relationships with dads. Of course, this is a movie about a dad who's, you know, relearning how to be a kid, which was once very, very important to him, which was his whole life philosophy until being a uh, grown up, being a pirate took over his perspective. So, yeah, this is this is about that. A lot of people have asked for this movie, so I'm glad that we're finally able to cover it. I didn't know until we covered this movie that this is not loved by critics. <laughs> My experience is summed up in this great AV Club piece that asks, is Hook Steven Spielberg's worst movie or just his most excessive? And Jesse Hassinger in that piece uh, writes the following. I was 11 in 1991 when Hook came out. I'm the exact right exennial age to forgive the movie its myriad excesses and embarrassments, just as those a few years older than me are liable to forgive the Goonies and those a few years younger may forgive Hocus Pocus on and on in both directions throughout the history of chintzy kids movies. That was me. You know, I was a kid when this came out. It was like a big movie and I just assumed that everyone loved it. It had Robin Williams in it. What's not to love? We talk a bit about the critical assessment in this episode and we talk a little bit about, you know, maybe why it fell flat with some people uh, among many other things. I love this episode. It's a lot of fun to talk with Carolyn and Sarah. We had a great time putting it together. In case you haven't seen Hook, (laughs) it's kind of funny to me to think that it's like a sequel to Peter Pan, but it is a sequel to Peter Pan in which we meet Peter much later in his life. He has forgotten that he's Peter Pan. He has a couple of kids. He's a busy workaholic. Work has taken over his life. It appears that he's a corporate raider. He goes to London with his family to celebrate Christmas and to celebrate uh, an honor that his grandmother, Wendy, is receiving. And while that's all happening, his kids get kidnapped by pirates. And he has to remember that he is Peter Pan and he has to uh, go to Neverland and save them. Kids are being kidnapped by Captain Hook. And Captain Hook is trying to replace Peter as his son Jack's dad. So there's a lot going on here. (laughs) This is exactly the perfect type of movie for doing what we do, which is understanding how we ended up this way. (laughs) And this pairs well with last week's episode, uh, which was about Scrooge, in which we talked about Bill Murray's flavor of depression clown. And we contrasted that against Robin Williams' flavor of clown, which I would argue is another form of depression clown. So, you know, keep that in mind when you listen to this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, by the way. It's so lovely to have you. You Are Good is made possible with your support, with the support of folks who help us out over on Patreon, patreon.com slash you are good. Remember, this was going to be a Patreon bonus episode. This is the kind of bonus episodes you get over there. You get a couple bonus episodes a month. Uh, We talk about all sorts of stuff. This next bonus episode, since it's no longer going to be about Hook, you're getting that now, is going to be about the movie Christmas Town and about Hallmark movies. And we're going to understand uh, why those are a thing. 
interesting and why those are things that surprisingly appeal to us a little bit more than we expected them to. So yes, you can uh, get bonus episodes by supporting us at Patreon at patreon.com slash you are good. Thanks to everyone who's uh, doing that over there. Thank you so much to our wonderful supporters at Knack Factory, K-N-A-C-K Factory, which is a commercial and creative video content production company with offices in Portland, Maine and Nashville, Tennessee, though they do work throughout these here United States. If you need that sort of work done, get in touch with the folks at Knack Factory. We have a Discord server where people are talking about all sorts of different things. The community's grown quite nicely there over the past couple of weeks. We'd love to see you there. I'll try to get an updated link in the show notes so you can join. Check that out. Ideally, it will go over to the Discord. Apparently, that link changes sometimes. I don't I don't quite understand it. But anyway. And finally, we release a playlist with each of our episodes. It's a Spotify playlist, which is songs that are inspired by our conversation about the episode. So check that out in the show notes as well. Tell people about it. Uh, it's always a trip. I love putting this together. I'm glad that it appears you enjoy them as well. All right, everybody, let's go to Neverland. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. We have a special guest. Hello, Carolyn Kendrick. That's the one. Hello, Sarah Marshall. There it is. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Carolyn. How's it going? Oh, it's going so good. It's early in the morning, or I guess it's not that early, but it feels early because we were up during the night worrying about tornadoes. Mm. I am currently processing all of that information. Yeah, we live in Tennessee, in mid-Tennessee, which is part of this tornado alley, and we don't have a basement. So when a tornado comes, we just hope for the best. Yeah. I would have thought Tornado Alley was like a movie starring Burt Lancaster, where he's a priest working with inner city greasers in Missouri. We don't know that it's not. (laughs) I think you just had your next million dollar idea. (laughs) Sarah, what are we spending today's uh, bonus discussing? We are talking about Hook, which is, I think, some kind of apex of some kind of aspect of Steven Spielberg's work. It's certainly about dads. Yes, it's certainly about dads and about Peter Pan or the Pan, if you will. (laughs) Carolyn, what is your what's your history with this movie? I just consumed every bit of Peter Pan media that I possibly could. I read the books. I read Peter and the Starcatchers. I watched the live action movie. And the history of my childhood is intrinsically intertwined with this movie and with all Peter Pan ventures, I would Mm. say. Yeah, I can't even remember a time where this movie was not an active part of my consciousness. I had it on VHS. I watched it all the time. Obviously, I adore Robin Williams. And yeah, I was just a huge, huge fan of the Peter Pan universe as a kid, Mm -hmm. um, which as an adult in therapy makes a lot of sense. Why? (laughs) Why does that make sense? I think the first big thing that many kids have to process is the fact that your childhood is impermanent. Mm. There are so many different ways that as people, we process the concept of like us versus them. And as a kid, there's kids versus adults like that's Mm. generally what there is or at least that's Mm. what there was for me and I was like probably too early inducted into the world of adulthood and my childhood felt very short and in retrospect I don't really remember much of my childhood Mm. Mm. and so I remember right when that process was happening just getting really really into Peter Pan in general because I think that was a way to process that 
transition and that inevitability without it being like sad. Yeah. Like what drives Hook is his terror around clocks. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I famously have a fear and hatred of clocks. Clocks are terrible, dude. You like look away for one second and then it's like late evening. We have a few clocks in our house, but none of them work. Literally none of them. It's funny because you you have an interest in um, not an interest. I don't know. Like you watch the Johanna Gaines show and the Magnolia Network. If you're Mm -hmm. listening and you just want to tell us about the ways that they're bad, like I know. But the... um, Man, when Chip smashes those cabinets and looks like Bill Paxton. Exactly. Her whole thing is clocks, which I think is very funny. That That's like, you know, she's your aesthetic nemesis and your friend. <laughs> I mean, God bless them. I watched that show as a way to turn my brain off and they just have the ugliest clocks. So it's, like, it's d- double whammy. Yeah, it's kind of like set pieces from like Batman Forever a little bit sometimes. <laughs> Anywho, Sarah... What's your background? Yes. Wow. Well, I also have kind of a lifelong attachment to Peter Pan and had not thought about what that might be about in a therapeutic context. Carolyn, I identify with some of what you're saying. Another thing about childhood is like you metabolize that it's going to end. But also for me, it felt like it was taking forever Hmm. and I was really looking forward to actual adulthood because then I could like have autonomy And now I'm like, wow, this is great. But also kids could be able to have more autonomy than I had Mm -hmm. potentially and therefore not look forward to adulthood so much Mm -hmm. or, you know, still do so a little because there's a lot of cool things you can do as an adult. But childhood is very special and it doesn't return, Mm -hmm. whereas adulthood goes on for a very, very long time Mm -hmm. if you're lucky. And this makes me think of Kathy Rigby, the American gymnast, one of the first American gymnasts who like had a chance to win something at the Olympics. This was like when America was kind of starting to get good at gymnastics a little bit Mm -hmm. and had this early life completely dedicated to professional gymnastics and I think had an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And then after retiring from, you know, this incredibly competitive and sometimes dangerous sport, she played Peter Pan on the stage for many, many years and it was Mm -hmm. her signature role. And I think I grew up watching some like Kathy Rigby, Peter Pan. I also have always understood it to be a role that like small middle-aged women get to play, (laughs) 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 which is really cool. (laughs) Ever since I kind of learned who Kathy Rigby was, I found it lovely and and bittersweet that like she's one of the Peter Pans of the 20th century. Mm. There's a recorded version of Rigby playing that like played on television a lot, right? Like I think that that was my introduction to Peter Pan. I think so. And I had a film of Mary Martin. Maybe that's it. That might be the big one. Sarah, I can't believe, by the way, that we talked about Scrooge all day yesterday or all night last night. Uh, we never once mentioned that Mary Lou Henner is in that movie. Mary Lou Retton. Mary Lou Retton. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Mary Lou Henner was on Taxi and has yeah. perfect memory. Oh, she does. Oh, yeah. my God. Unlike some people. <laughs> I just want to say for listeners, if anybody like doubts the fact that Alex, honest to God, cannot remember a single name. The other day he came up to me and was trying to remember my name, the woman who he's married to, and he couldn't remember my name. So wait, was this like your middle name or your last name or no, just first name? Oh, no. It's getting to a worrisome place. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, yeah, so where do we start with Hook? 
There's a lot to cover. Oh boy. We could get out of the way that this movie could steer you in the direction of having an eating disorder if you were on the precipice at some point because of its relentlessness. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) About body related stuff and yelling at Peter for becoming fat, even though he's just Robin Williams. He's just middle-aged. He's filled out. He's got his shirt off at one point and you're like... You're talking about him being out of shape? Like, that's just, yeah. yeah. I'm more distracted by his painted nipples. It's just the 13 pounds of him as hair. (laughs) Yeah. True. That's the one piece where I was like, okay, this aged interestingly, but uh, everything else. That he's so hairy the whole Oh, no, (laughs) because the the body shaming. (laughs) You should get a wax. (laughs) No, I was going to dispute that concept. But yeah, you can really count on any 80s or 90s movie to be like, to be, you're just like going along merrily down the stream. And then someone says something so viciously like homophobic or fatphobic truly hateful Mm -hmm. sounding a lot of the time where you're like what where did that why yeah (laughs) right and in these pieces of media that are just full of heart and whimsy and then all of a sudden you just get smacked by this stuff that you just didn't even use to blink at Mm -hmm. alex last night you were saying that there was one other part that didn't hold up well to you which which part was that I can't remember. What Do you remember what it was? It was with Rufio. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think I'm glad that they cast. I assume that Rufio is Filipino, and I don't know that that's the case or the actor who plays him. I'm glad that there was diversity in casting, obviously, in casting the Lost Boys. But like by casting Rufio, who becomes their leader after Peter abandons him, uh, them, mm-hmm. and then Peter comes back and just immediately reclaims his role. It like kind of inadvertently sets up weird racial politics, like American intervention in Southeast Asia. And Rufio just gives up his sword. Kind of, he's like cranky for a minute, and they get into a food fight, and then he just gives up his sword. And I was like, that's oh, kind of a bummer. It's an interesting choice. It feels like that could have been an idea that like somebody suggested in brainstorming, and they were like, what? Peter Pan has to unseat a young interloper of color. This seems political, Steve. I'm too old for this, but this is because I have family members who watch it, which is how I ended up watching it. But I've talked a lot about Kenny Ortega's The Descendants, which is kind of like his most Mm -hmm. recent series that he's done. And that's all of the Disney villains in that or like the villains of those show of the each of the episodes are like ethnically coded in one way or another. And like, that's the Mm -hmm. one thing that does not feel like it holds up. Like we're still dealing with that. We're still trying to figure out how to like deal with diverse casting and then also not accidentally or maybe subconsciously make a, a strange statement. I think like 1992 is when it came out, but like the early nineties, one of the opening lines of Aladdin originally, which they changed now So if you go listen to it on Spotify or if you stream it, this won't be in it. But the original line trigger warning for Islamophobia was I come from a land from a faraway place where the caravan camels roam, where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. Oh, yeah. Disney's like a very conservative organization in terms of what kind of risks they're going to take with an audience. And they were like, that's fine. Yeah, they're like, no one will think twice about that. So it feels like movies of this era, their idea of being political is just having people of color in the roles, no matter what happens to the people. Sure. Right. That's the toe that they were willing to dip in without really any further examination. I do want to confirm also that the actor, the actor who plays Rufio, Dante Vasco, is Filipino. Okay. 
Robin Williams' character at the beginning, the vibe of it kind of reminds me of Rick Moranis' character in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Not mm. in this, not tonally, but in the sense that we're used to thinking of Robin Williams as this like joyful, good mm. dad type, you know, in so many ways. Mm. And then seeing him be a bad dad at first and then his whole redemption arc is becoming a good dad. Yeah, I just wanted to point that out that that was like an interesting parallel. Yeah, to contrast this with Mrs. Doubtfire, which I feel like is his other most iconic role of the early 90s for, you know, for kids anyway. Mm -hmm. He's too fun a dad. He needs to learn to be more Mm -hmm. responsible and also a lot of blame is being laid at Sally Field's door. We just talked about Jingle all the way and it's funny to me And I talked in that episode about how like this feels like the setup for a Saw movie to me Mm -hmm. because the classic Saw setup initially is like a dad isn't attentive enough. So Jigsaw has to teach him to appreciate life and being a dad Mm because Jigsaw never got to be a dad. And it's so interesting to me that so many 90s movies are about a guy who's not being a good enough dad. It's because of his job. I think it practically always is. And so he has to be taught a lesson on some kind of magical journey the only other like really consistently fruiting subgenre i can think of that is that kind of thing is like pubescent age girl goes on a magical journey like in mm. labyrinth mm-hmm. or adventures in babysitting or return to oz or the wizard of oz or mm-hmm. etc so far all but little women has followed this of our holiday movies has followed this track hmm. christmas carol is the og in this arena right oh my god <laughs> at least wow. as far as holiday movies go it's interesting that like dads and teen girls are the people that movies are in a way most interested in yeah yeah i wonder why that is i mean i guess yeah you never have a movie well maybe you do were you gonna say you never have that movie about moms yeah the mom's version of this is always a sexual awakening right the dad version of this is always like I became an adult too fast and I I accepted the burdens of the world on my shoulders Mm -hmm. too soon and it made me an asshole and I need to relearn how to be a child. And there's Mm -hmm. a subgenre that's like not usually explicitly about a mom, but is definitely about a a middle-aged woman who like reclaims her youth or Mm. sexual agency in some way. Like how Stella got her groove back or the bridges of Madison County. Yeah, 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 totally. (laughs) But I think overall, like, I don't think those get nearly as much recognition as they probably should in comparison to the like mm. the dad trope it's hard to bring your kids to a movie where mom learns to fuck it shouldn't be though that's the goal of this <laughs> podcast <laughs> there is no time watching this movie or any Pan- peter pan movie where i don't get really emotional yeah yeah because it deals with a lot of the big themes in life or at least in my life mm-hmm. that just really got me you know And it also acknowledges that children are dealing with these things, too. We have this idea that childhood is fancy free and you don't worry about all of these things. But all of these kids are dealing with concepts of mortality and dealing with how you lose joy sometimes if you allow yourself to lose joy as you go through life. And like sometimes becoming an adult means losing this inner spark within you and losing this inner magic. And I think it's just so incredibly lovely from what I can ascertain, like the thesis of this movie is we can learn to like continue the joy we can learn from our own children. And that also when we lose that joy and when we choose to not experience joy and we choose to not experience magic, we also 
can take that away from the kids in our life. So it's also adults' responsibility mm. to cultivate that, not only for us, but also for kids in general. Yeah. The justice cycle in Never Neverland, as the Lost Boys are concerned, is you are a kid. If you grow up, the only people who are grown up are pirates and we kill pirates. It's just like the 60s. <laughs> it really is. Which Peter missed because he was an accountant. <laughs> right. Right. So that scene up top, you know, before Robin Williams have, has accepted that he's Peter Pan, you know, he's putting his kids to sleep and Maggie is like showing him this flower, this little paper flower that she's made. And she's like, look, it smells good. Oh, it's heartbreaking. I don't know why that one. I really got choked up seeing that scene last night. Mm-hmm. Because he dismisses it. Yeah. This time in particular, I was struck by how convincing of a shitty dad Robin Williams was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The setup of him as a person who's become a sour adult corporate raider mm-hmm. was very, very good. Like that setup was required for the rest of the movie to pay off. And he did it like he's a yeah. fucking asshole. That also makes me think that like maybe Julia Roberts got cast as Tinkerbell partly because she had like already warmed the heart of a corporate raider and pretty woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I can't wait also to talk about the sexual dynamic between those two because holy shit. Yes. Newsflash. I love Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell. I know this is controversial, but like. Is it? Apparently. I feel the same way. I absolutely adore her. I would change literally nothing about this movie, even though there probably could be things that are changed, but I adore her. But I will say, as I was thinking about like, okay, what does this movie mean? And what does, what do all these characters mean to us? I was trying to think about like, what does Tinkerbell mean to us as a society? And Mm. I couldn't actually really come to an answer on that. What do you think, Sarah? Oh, wow. I don't know. It's weird, right? Because I feel like there's a lot of like sassy, sexy Tinkerbell on Disney merch. And like Mm -hmm. there's been more or less of that at different times. But she's kind of like the Betty Boop of Disney Mm. characters. Mm. (laughs) My main thought is she's like sexualized with plausible deniability. Totally. Mm -hmm. Like within the narrative though, like she seems like she has a function, the personification of magic. Right. Mm. She's like the facilitator of magic in a way where I believe in magic in a, you know, abstract form, but like it would be hard to like put in a movie if there wasn't some sort of personification. It seems like Tinkerbell is that. Yeah. Carolyn, what's your, what's your take? I mean, obviously, Tinkerbell means something to us as a people because she endures. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I find it hard to believe that she really only exists as narrative structure like I can't even figure out what she does mean like on a larger scale other than that there maybe is some connection between like manic pixie Hmm. thing oh I can see that yeah like maybe that's just something that we are drawn to maybe but yeah maybe it's just that we like to have something tangible to hold on to like prove our belief in more magic-y things this might just be a coincidence but I realize like in the in the text of the movie it's been 10 years since Peter's been home to see Granny Wendy. And I realize that's probably about the same age that Jack is. So I wonder if there's some connection between whenever Jack was born. That is what triggered him to like, oh, well, I'm an adult now. Now I have a kid. So I'm going to be scared. I don't or I don't want to acknowledge that. Yeah, I think the Steven Spielberg view of adulthood is like that you kind of become fully adult when you become a dad. Mm. I mean, we just talked about Jurassic Park, and I feel like one of the messages I take from that movie is that like you will better fight dinosaurs if you have to be a dad at the same time, basically. Mm. And sharks. And sharks. It's true. And also (laughs) I was thinking, spoilers for Hook, that Captain Hook has the same death as 
Quint in Jaws because oh. he gets literally eaten by the thing he's obsessed with. Yeah, I never really thought about that. Neither did I. I'll, I just question the logistics of him getting eaten by it. But that's, yeah, I like that a lot. It's magic. Yeah, it's magic, Alex. Don't think too hard. It is magic. Exactly. Yes, yeah, sorry. Caroline, I noticed that throughout your watching the movie, you were very concerned about all of the impacts on Jack throughout. Mm-hmm. Like Jack's going through a lot. Can you talk about what you see Jack going through? Oh, God. I guess maybe I should examine why I like identify so much with Jack. One of the lines that is just absolutely hilarious and absolutely heartbreaking when they're on the plane and Jack is just playing with his baseball as a kid would and Robin Williams gets really upset and says, like, stop acting like a child. And then Jack, like, nervously laughs and says, I am a child. Mm-hmm. He's just being subconsciously asked to be an adult in a way that is irresponsible number one and is like robbing him of these years to have obviously they're not everybody has a good childhood and obviously like the idealized version of childhood is very different than what children every day go through but there is like kind of a freedom in childhood that does not exist in adulthood Mm -hmm. as there is there's a freedom in adulthood that it doesn't exist in childhood but he is being asked to give up that freedom and that joy I think unfairly and I think that that is something that I resonated with because girls are also asked to do that pretty quickly. Like there's this narrative of girls mature faster, Mm. which is not true. But even if as a group of people, you don't actually grow up faster, you are asked to maybe ahead of time. Mm. I only have one sibling and he's almost 12 years younger than me. And so like basically as soon as I was a teenager, I was like kind of in Wendy's role, actually. Mm. I was taking care of my brother and I was taking care of actually a bunch of other kids too. And so I kind of see myself and Jack knowing that that's coming, feeling that sense of pressure, I guess, was was emotional for me. Mm -hmm. There's that, which is kind of like the setup for what he's going through. And then there's like how that is exploited. Right. Because like then he's a mark for Hook and Smee, who's Mm -hmm. deliciously played by Sarah's crush of the century, Bob Hoskins. Uh, I forgot that we had talked about that. But yeah, where did that come (laughs) up? He's got like a hairy, hairy back and who framed Roger Rabbit or something. (laughs) The density of hair on that man's face is admirable. (laughs) He should enter for an award or something. The fact that they they come up with this scheme to be like the best way to get back. And this is great. Actually, I mean, it's brilliant. But like the best way to get back at Peter is to co-opt his son's love. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Holy shit. And then he's ripe for it because he has been assaulted on all of these occasions. Like the sanctity of his youth has been assaulted on all of these occasions by his Mm -hmm. father's anxiety. So the script was written by Freud. So I have been thinking about Steven Spielberg the last few days because I just watched the Amityville Horror, which was like one of the big horror movies of the 70s and made a ton of money then. I don't think people really watch it that much anymore. Like, I know it's a classic, but I don't think that if you're on a date and you want to get spooked, you're like, let's watch the Amityville Horror, babe, or whatever. (laughs) And And get spooked. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. When you're in that, I want to get spooked. (laughs) (laughs) And this is one of my like enduring fixations. How the 70s were this time of like a ton of pop culture that were like 
there's demons and Satan afoot and only the Catholic Church can help you. Like how horror movies in the 70s were a lot of them just like an ad for the Catholic Church mm-hmm. for some reason. <laughs> and how Steven Spielberg stands alone and that's why his horror really endures. Mm. I mean, there's like some good enduring Catholic horror like The Exorcist. That's a great movie. Anyway, but I love how Steven Spielberg's his horror concepts last because he's not talking about something in society that people are like interested in right now he's talking Mm. about like these very basic human things Mm -hmm. and so like his two big 70s horror movies i think are like duel which is like what if there was a big truck that was chasing you (laughs) and it's like who's in the truck and the movie's like it doesn't matter it's just a big truck (laughs) and then jaws is like what if there was a big shark and it was eating your kids I feel like there's something very special about Spielberg where he has this like connection and acceptance of what makes human beings tick and what do they want to see. And I know that this movie didn't do super well when it came out. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it was regarded as a little bit of a disappointment, but like, I think it's become so beloved by so many people in the time since that like it is a classic now. Mm -hmm. Why is that? What makes it special the way that it is? I informed Carolyn that this movie was not received critically well Mm -hmm. like this movie has a 30 percent on rotten tomatoes which is insane by the way (laughs) yeah carolyn's direct quote which i wrote down in my notes is you've got to be shitting my dick (laughs) (laughs) right like what was wrong with people whatever year this came out that's how egregious it is yeah (laughs) so i think the two things that strike me immediately is one something that bj was saying about jingle all the way and these are obviously different movies but like this movie's very campy like oh my gosh yeah there are a bunch of scenes in which children look like drag queens and (laughs) hook himself is a drag queen like and as you pointed out there's a 1920s gangster themed lost boy (laughs) (laughs) an italian vaudeville comedian (laughs) um This movie's super, super campy, and I think like people don't necessarily know what to do mm-hmm. with that, especially since Spielberg is a quote serious director. Mm. Like it's sometimes hard to know what to do with whimsy. And I think the other thing that this movie does that I appreciate now that I probably at some point in my life would have shit talked is it's not nuanced at all. Yeah. All of the themes we're talking about are so heavy handed Mm -hmm. in a way that I think is probably very important for young viewers. Nuances for French people, Alex. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You're right. I've come around. (laughs) Like this doesn't have to be breathless. Yeah. Right. Carolyn, why do you think, is it a movie that people that has been able to build a following? Like why are people drawn to it now? Well, I think that this movie is kind of the archetypical and a classic example of a family movie in the sense that there is something for everyone. And also because it takes a classic story that everyone is, I mean, most people are familiar with this story. You don't really need to like know the ins and outs of the original Peter Pan to connect with it. But also just because these themes are themes that we think about through our entire lives and we think about them differently in each phase of our lives. So when you're a kid watching this, I think all of those heavy handed metaphors and all of those clear metaphors are ways. I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg situation where either you're already thinking about these things and then this gives you a way to metabolize it, like Sarah said, or I don't know which comes first. But then as a as an adult, you watch it and you get something something else from it. So as an adult, Mm -hmm. like I felt like I was Peter Banning watching this movie on this watch, I felt like I was 
actively remembering all of these things about childhood that used to like Mm. spark me and make me feel alive and made me feel magical through the process of watching it this time all of that eventually comes back through the course of watching this movie and I don't know if that's the case for everybody but I think that that could be a reason that this movie endures every time you watch it it can re-spark something from childhood within you that Mm -hmm. hopefully you're able to carry and share in adulthood Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to me a lot of why I respond so strongly to this movie and why it makes me cry so much. Often like the score by John Williams is playing Mm -hmm. a part. And I feel like Spielberg at this point was like doing science basically where he was like, we have John Williams. (laughs) If his music doesn't make you feel feelings, then like, I don't know what will. Mm -hmm. And it also just, it takes place in beautiful winter in London, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Does Mm -hmm. it take place in Christmas? Like, is there any Christmas imagery? I can't recall. Yeah. I think that's like the idea is that they're going home for Christmas. Mm. It's a big budget Christmas movie. Yeah. Hook is a Christmas movie. Mm -hmm. Very you go i don't know if this is just a matter of having lived with four years of trump as our president and then having to continue to live with some version of that in the Mm. forever future but i had such a big like trump read on captain hook this Mm. time because like Mm. you know he's this like totally campy villain who has this very intense anxiety about time and is trying to shape his entire reality around him to Mm -hmm. accommodate his anxiety and like he you know like he just can't have a functioning clock around he needs all the clocks to be broken (laughs) you know he's Mm -hmm. a fantastic a fantastic authoritarian you know he sniffs out the person who he believes to be his uh to dissent against him and puts him in a box full of scorpions (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) he feels like a real a real Trumpian authoritarian. Trump would do that if he could. Yeah. Again, I don't know that he hasn't. Right. <laughs> I can't believe they cast Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook, and I can't believe it's so great. It's so good. That's what I think every time I watch it. <laughs> this was the first Dustin Hoffman experience I ever had. Like, I knew who Dustin Hoffman was because of this movie. They were like, he's so good in Dragon Tootsie. Maybe that is why they thought that. <laughs> he feels like he's living it up and playing like a big character and. It's also very interesting whenever actors who normally do adult stuff, by which I mean grown up stuff, are in family movies or kids movies and just like seeing how much effort they appear to be putting in. Mm -hmm. And like Mm -hmm. it does feel like everyone involved in this movie is giving it absolutely 100 percent. And it's like a family movie on the scale of Jurassic Park, which is also a family movie, but is like cutting Mm eggs, CGI, dinosaurs chasing people. And not about like whimsy and the childhood in our hearts as much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I wonder if people like resented that maybe when this came out because they were like, this is too much, too many resources for the the whimsy. I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Too many resources for whimsy. Sarah, I feel like you talk about this a lot where we don't give kids nearly enough credit for being able Mm -hmm. to understand what's going on and we don't necessarily always allocate enough resources towards kids and their ability to enjoy themselves Mm. a lot of kids media is just like i don't know like just shoot it in bulgaria for as cheap as possible or something Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) or just like let's do like the bare minimum here because kids are dumb and they won't notice or it has to be a part of a franchise. Mm. That's the other kind of annoying things about movies where they put a lot of resources into kids media is like it's a part of a, 
you know, a 10 part series or whatever. It's really interesting that this was just like a standalone story. There was no hook expanded universe. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true, actually. Well, that's like what you were saying earlier, Sarah, is that like as a kid, you were searching for some kind of autonomy. Peter Pan in general the story it gives kids autonomy these kids live on their own they live with their friends they live in a you know a communal situation these kids love each other and they help each other and they have fun together and they just create their own little worlds and they do their own thing and i think that maybe one of the messages of this movie is that we should give kids the ability to do that because that benefits everybody including adults yeah and imagine like building and then having a sleepover with all your friends and your own little Ewok village. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like, there's all these little moments of this that stick with me in everyday life. And one is when the lost boy is blowing out his lantern and goes, good night, Neverland. Like I think of that so often. I know it's so sweet. Rufio draws the line in the sand and they're trying to figure out Mm -hmm. if he's actually pan or not. And the one little kid like is touching his face and everything. That's a really emotional scene for me because it's like, yeah. yeah, just this little kid being able to see the goodness in you still even though you have all of these layers of like decrepit lawyer on you you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i I also feel like this is kind of a parent shaming movie which i think Mm -hmm. is important but maybe people felt a little bit seen by this because one of the themes is like you know your kids are going to love you and keep wanting you to be part of their lives and loving you unconditionally for a while Mm-hmm. And then that stops. So, like, you really got to get in there in the next blink of an eye, basically. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of scary to hear. Yeah, totally. You're missing it, Peter. Yeah. It's also interesting that at the end, Jack and Maggie, they gain a father through this experience. Mm-hmm. But the Lost Boys, who didn't ever really have fathers, they gain a father through the process of getting Pan back and then they lose him. And Rufio. Yeah. Their other dad. They yeah. lose both their dads. Yeah. He deposes their leader, gets him killed in combat, and then leaves <laughs> to go live in L.A., apparently. But let that sweet-faced boy take over, which is nice. I hope he's doing a great job. Yeah, I think that'll go well. What is his name? His name's Thud. His name's Thud? Yeah. Gates Sand? Yeah. <laughs> Thud. <laughs> thud. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that's one thing I would change. That's not great. <laughs> he looks like a Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking he looks like a Theodore. I love like all of the choices for the Lost Boys. I love the character design. Yeah. I, like I love you saying it's an Ewok village because that's absolutely what it is. <laughs> it's so I love where they have to dress up like pirates and they walk around oh as my pirates. God. And again, like they just look like tiny teenage drag queens. Like I love everything about these. Mm-hmm. Everything about like this movie seems like it was just like a blast to design. Oh, it is yeah. so beautiful. It is so beautiful. It doesn't seem like anybody's having a bad time during this. Yeah. Especially Jack's little girl who acts her balls off. Maggie. Yeah, she just yeah. acts so hard. <laughs> like God bless her. Yeah. Everything is a lot of big movement. And then that Jack, <laughs> a 10-year-old, 45-year-old man. I really like that about him. <laughs> yes. I think he's also the kid from What About Bob? Mm. He is, and he's the kid from um, uh, Can't Hardly Wait as well. I haven't seen that, actually. We should cover that at some point. It's a pretty quintessential 90s movie. 
Okay. Also, what a freaking surprise it was, even though I've seen this movie a million times, to just remember that Gwyneth Paltrow was in this. Right? <laughs> what the heck? was not expecting that. Peter. And then also Maggie Smith, which is so incredible. Apparently, like, Glenn Close plays a pirate in this, and I never noticed or saw. Oh, yeah, she does. <laughs> It's so cute. Yeah, and there's the David Crosby cameo. Thank God. Lots of good cameos in this. Sarah, at the end, this is the first time I made the association, probably because we've covered the movie twice so far mm. in the past year, is, is Toodles makes a, a Dead Poet Society reference to Robin when he's going out the window and he yells, sees the day at him. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> See, I didn't catch that. Oh, that's cute. I don't know if it was intentional, but it feels pretty pointed. Robin Williams had a run, man. It must be hard to become America's surrogate dad, but it's just like, listen, there wasn't a better one. You just got to do it. Yeah. From like Garp to Fl I would say it probably started to change around Flubber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was like 13 straight years of bangers. <laughs> the Glubber dynasty. Yes. <laughs> Dynasty. <laughs> uh, yeah. Robin Williams is such a good actor and like it's like that one scene where he's in the window before he realizes that he's Peter Pan while they're still at the house and he like sees all of the wallpaper like depicting all of the scenes and he like momentarily inhabits Pan's ethos hmm. and then like snaps out of it really quick I just thought he just has a lot of really good physical acting in this movie in a way that I really appreciated this viewing. Mm -hmm. What popped into my head at that exact moment is the part where, oh, where Hook has the, his hook removed by the lady <laughs> and the, the looks on both of their faces in this just says more about me than I think it does about Hook. It just feels like she's pegging him. <laughs> like there's a whole... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the funny thing about Neverland is that it's like it's a realm of childhood freedom, but there is this creepy fancy guy roving around. Yeah. And he's gonna get ya. Devoted to killing the head child. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. <laughs> That doesn't sound so utopian now that you put it that way. Yeah, there's like a constant cold war going on in this place. <laughs> what if I wrote like a YA, dyst I hear these are out of fashion now, but what if I wrote a YA dystopia novel called, um, I don't know, t title needed, but like where it's like dystopian and then you realize gradually that it's about Neverland, but it starts off as like the boys were lost. They had nothing to eat but the tiny, <laughs> briny mussels that clung to the shores of the treacherous island where they were hunted by pirates. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's so good. Yeah. The pirates are just proud boys. Yeah. This, oh, yeah. This movie. Just these like resentful, terrible men. I think it is kind of utopian that there is this weird fancy guy eternally has a vendetta against children because then these lost boys always have an adventure. Like, I think that's kind of the point is that then... Oh, that's true. Yeah, they will never lack for entertainment. Yeah, and pirates are such a fun kind of adventure if you're a little boy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it gives a nice clear sense of good and bad, which is excellent. Mm -hmm. No one has to, like, struggle with abstraction in this universe. I also love how Tinkerbell is only big enough to have one feeling at a time. I really identify with that. Mm. <laughs> Is that part of when she becomes big, like then she can have enough feelings to express that to Peter? Yeah, which I love. I love that. Yeah. 
I forgot that she becomes big and I immediately when her tone with Peter started to change was questioning the sexual dynamics of how that would work. <laughs> she Thankfully, she became big to answer some of those questions. Mm-hmm. What do you think the purpose of that is? You don't really need Tinkerbell to like get horny for Peter in this. It's not like it goes anywhere. I didn't need it. I mean, I guess she always was. So it's like canonical. So you could say that their hands were tied. But like. I, I don't know. Carolyn, you pointed this out. Us watching, you know, Wendy tell her story in which like Wendy, his grandmother, oh, right. Peter's grandmother gets real close to him and is like explaining essentially that she loved him mm-hmm. in kind of a sexy way <laughs> that didn't end up happening he doesn't end up coming back, but he ends up coming back for her granddaughter. And like mm-hmm. how mind fucking that must be for Wendy. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> that hardly ever happens in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sex like really like the sexual dynamics in this movie were both very strange for me still. Yeah. Watching Wendy explain where she was at and then watch poor. Tinkerbell trying to throw herself at Peter and it not going anywhere because he is married mm-hmm. to a very fine lady. Mm-hmm. We weren't having a more dynamic conversations about monogamy at the time. Like, I can't. I can't. I'm so sad. Yeah. It's also like, he's like, oh, I can't do this with you, Tinkerbell. I'm in love with Moira. And it's like, are you? I've Prove it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that. <laughs> I haven't seen anything between you two yet. <laughs> What happens in Neverland stays in Neverland, you know? And again, it's a universe in which, like, you just have to do a, a simple, a pretty quick grand gesture to make up for everything, like throw your cell phone out the window. And right. then that, like, reaffirms your love to everybody. <laughs> People in the 90s were continually throwing cell phones out the windows. <laughs> they saw what was coming. <laughs> I would argue we should take that back up. Yeah, I feel like you don't see that even as a grand gesture in movies anymore because the second everyone started having cell phones, it was like, no, that's not so believable maybe but yeah i want to i want to see that or maybe like a mass throwing away of cell phones in a movie like a network type moment almost everyone is qualifies as a lower like working middle class and a cell phone is a 900 dollars computer like if you saw someone throw it what are you doing this, this person is having some kind of a mental health crisis <laughs> this goes beyond symbolism right <laughs> this man can't do his job anymore now yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> How's he supposed to post pictures from the museum's social media account? I remember when I watched The Devil Wears Prada and Anna Hathaway does that with her sidekick, which is like children right before the iPhone. There was a sidekick. I was like, how is she going to get home from Paris? Right. I know. What are you going to do? Are you going to just walk into the airport and buy a ticket like a rube? (laughs) They're going to charge you way out the ass. (laughs) same day that's crazy hope you're a millionaire (laughs) yeah she just used up all her wages getting home and now she's back to zero with adrian granier (laughs) so alex what would you say the like thesis of this movie is you're gonna grow up because just physiologically it's gonna happen but since that's going to happen it would be really great if you took some of the elements of your youth with you Hmm. and don't become someone who is poisonous to yourself as a result of shutting that out and then poisonous to everyone else around you Mm -hmm. sarah what do you think Hmm. i agree with that childhood is very fleeting including the childhood of your children 
Mm. Don't waste it. I do feel like that's important for parents to hear because like I didn't really get that kind of moral when I was a kid because as I said before, I felt like everything just time took so long to pass. Mm. And now it's incredible to me to think about raising children with my concept of time as an adult because like when I was a kid, the period between my seventh birthday and my eighth birthday was endless. It took forever. So much stuff happened. Mm -hmm. I changed so much as a person huge dynamic difference and now for me the difference between like being like 33 and being 34 is like my hair's longer right so much of the tension that we talk about between parents and children mm -hmm. is for sure by way of generational trauma it's by way of by way of cultural trauma. it's by way of all of these different things but we very rarely talk about what you just said which is there's a fundamental difference in the perception of reality based on how each process is time totally yeah. Isn't mm -hmm. that trippy? Right. I mean, I assume this is like something like the theory of relativity, which I do not understand, <laughs> except what LL Cool J said in Deep Blue Sea, which is that if you sit next to a pretty girl for an hour, it feels like a minute. And if you put your finger on a hot stove for a minute, it feels like an hour. Yeah. That's all I know about that. When you're 10 years old, one year is a tenth of your life. Right. When you're 40, one year is a 40th of your life. Right. right. It feels so different i think it just is different like time is different for us at different ages and then i hear it slows down again when you get old mm. that is not the report i got from my father oh well the okay reporting from my father he's like i blink my eyes and a year goes by i blink my eyes and a year goes by it goes by i was 70 and now i'm dead oh all right well <laughs> okay <laughs> fine <Palmer> alex <laughs> i know you constantly live in fear of the clock carolyn you talk about it a lot but that is the like thing that pops into my head whenever i think about that is like the constant warnings i got from somebody who was old that uh t time just becomes more and more your enemy yeah sometimes i like to be lied to right i'm gonna go get one of those vampire facials <laughs> Ooh, what's that <laughs> they dry your blood and then they centrifuge it and then they spread your own platelets on your face. Wow. Holy crap. Yes, please do it and report back. And at least would be a great placebo effect. <laughs> Carolyn, what's your what is the moral of this movie? Childhood is not confined to the years of your life before you're an adult. You can still take the lessons and the magic of childhood with you into adulthood. And that, in fact, it's our responsibility, too, because that's the only way that we continue to experience joy. And that's one of the biggest ways that we continue to experience and share love. I agree with what both of you said, that it's precious and we have to treat time with the respect that it deserves. If we treat time like it's precious, then that will make life better for us and for our children. Mm. Mm. That's so well put. And I feel like so much of this show, I think we all understand on some level what you just said. And we're constantly trying to figure out like what roadblocks from our experience get in the way of our ability to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Carolyn, where can we find your stuff? You can find me, me and my stuff on this podcast. <laughs> you are good. <laughs> I am a musician. And so you can find my stuff on, you know, streaming services, but preferably on Bandcamp on Carolyn Kendrick dot bandcamp dot com or something like that. You can also find me on Twitter at Carolyn B. Kendrick, B as in boy. And yeah, I also have a website called Wait, we didn't do the daddy question yet. 
Yeah. I, I'm happy to do it. We don't typically do it in the bonus episodes, but I'm happy to talk about the daddy. Oh, okay. I think we should. Okay. Carolyn, why don't you ask the question? Okay. Well, we know... <laughs> It's almost like I listen to every awakening moment of the day. <laughs> we know that Robin Williams is the father, but who is the daddy? Alex? Oh, gosh. I feel like it's Rufio. Who gets short shrift. Peter left because he had to become a corporate raider. And by the way, I love all the illusion. Like, I love when Jack is explaining what Peter does for work and he's mm -hmm. describing him be a pirate because mm -hmm. he that is what he is. And that to me is like the best and most wonderful reveal mm -hmm. in the movie is seeing mm -hmm. is realizing like what we're being set up for is he became Captain Hook. Mm -hmm. A lot of that same stuff happens in Jumanji. Mm -hmm. like, but yeah, Rufio took over for Peter, filled a leadership void, was there for these kids became a dynamic swordsman and gets no thanks, no thanks in this entire movie for what he has done. I mean, mm -hmm. no, he gets no thanks in, in this movie for what he's done. And he just makes it possible for Peter to just walk back in. Rufio was always cool when I was a kid because he was cool. And now I realize he's cool because he was their dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A dad who wanted a dad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. oh. As cool as Peter, which is yeah. very generous of him to say. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to make my dying moment about validating you. Oh, <laughs> oh Rufio. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's Rufio for me. Sarah? I would say Maggie because she's got a good head on her shoulders and she knows that like the leading cause of being a pirate is needing a mommy. Yeah. Which I agree with. Which I think it's very sophisticated moral outlook. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah, you're totally right. I'm glad you brought... I we can't believe we haven't touched on that. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Well, there's that moment where she, Peter's trying to save them from the net before he can fly. And she says, come on, daddy. Mommy could do it. She <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. Props to Maggie because she really brings it all back to moms in a way that I think we forget throughout the movie. Mm. Yeah. She's always reminding us that actually moms are doing a lot more work than dads. Yeah. Yeah. Her mom is present and shows up to things. And the pure belief little kids can have about the powers of moms is like incredible, mm -hmm. which is also be because they're children. So a society, society needs to recognize that moms are vulnerable and need lots of money. Mm -hmm. But it's beautiful when their children think that about them. Yeah, that's nice. Carolyn? I am going to say Tinkerbell because she is the one that actually transports Peter to Neverland. And she is the one who actually whips him back into shape. And she does a lot of the work to get him to remember who he is. And also Julia Roberts is just obviously incredibly stunning. So Yeah, this is peak Julia Roberts. Mm -hmm. Julia, I mean, look at her. Jesus. This is the time of like, it's Julia's America and we're just living in it. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, totally. And it was like, Julia, you can do whatever you want. She was like, cool, I'm going to marry Lyle Lovett. I respect the decision. I've said this before and have had no follow through because we've been so busy with everything, but I so desperately want to make like a six part miniseries about Lyle Lovett. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do it. Can one chapter be called Julia? Absolutely. Okay. It's about 18 months of his life. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it was uh. um i'm also gonna just say captain hook because he has one of the mm. best lines which is mm -hmm. death is the only great adventure i have left mm. yeah so good thanks for producing our show yeah thanks for having a show for me to produce it all works nicely Aww. all right well i'll see you in the other room soon <laughs> i love you guys bye bye, bye. bye. bye.
All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. We are so happy that you joined us. Thank you so much to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the show, for appearing on the show as a guest, for being our music director. You can find Carolyn's music at carolynkendrick.com. You can find a album of songs she made for this here show uh, called The Music of You Are Good, Volume 1. You can find her EP called Tear Things Apart. You can find all sorts of things. So carolynkendrick.com, listen to Carolyn, stream, buy stuff on Dan Kemp, and on and on. Thank you so much to you for listening to the episode. You can find us on Twitter at YouAreGoodPod. You can find us on Instagram at the same uh, name, You're a Good Pod. Find us on Patreon, where there are bonus episodes, patreon.com slash you are good. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I got for you this week. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We love that you're here. You are good. And have a Merry Christmas if that's what you do. And if that's not what you do, thanks for hanging out with us. We love having you here. Our last episode of the year next week, look out for Titanic. If you want to prep. It's three hours of a cold ship movie for you <laughs> that you can listen to at some point over this holiday break. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.